Good afternoon. I'm going to read uh, Psalm 32 again. You can follow along with me. Psalm 32, I'm a skill of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Sila. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will, make I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Sila. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a mule, a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray again. Uh, Father, Pray that you open our eyes that we may see wondrous things out of your law. Amen. Uh, there was a certain man born 1,700 years ago. He lived a life of pleasure and enjoyment. He indulged in all sorts of immoral activities, adultery, frequented with what was called bathhouses during that time. Then by the grace of God, he turned from his sinful ways and came to a saving knowledge of Christ. He then wrote numerous books. Two of you, the two of them you all may know, are titled The City of God and Confessions. Where in this book, one of the most famous quotes of all time outside the Bible that stood the test of time is found. It says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. This man is no other than San Agustin or St. Augustine. They said that he is the most influential church scholar other than the Apostle Paul. And in his deathbed, he put into writing on the wall of his chambers his favorite psalm, the one that we're about to hear, Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So what drove this man from a life of downward spiral of sin to become one of the giants of our faith? It is the idea of being forgiven. Forgiving, being forgiven, forgiveness, these are words rarely used in our culture in our age. This society nowadays dictates, emulates, and adorns the notorious, the scandalous, the troublesome, 
the dangerous, the rebels, the unforgiving. The internet and social media are hero-worshipping those who are criminals who got away with it. Sadly, it has crept into our churches as well. Interestingly, I read a quote that says, Being notorious, being bad is fun for a little bit. After that, it's just a hassle. I mean, it's just a hassle, you know. I mean, we are dealing with eternity here. I know it's more than just a hassle. My aim is simple, that those who are forgiven will be reminded of the wonders and the beauty of forgiveness and live lives that are victorious and rejoicing. And for those who are seeking forgiveness, that they will pursue and run to Christ as there is no other salvation than Him. The author of the psalm is no other than King David, as you can see at the heading of the psalm, a maskil of David. Maskil is a musical term suggesting that this, this psalm is a song. It is one of the seven penitentiary psalms, meaning it is a lament that includes a confession of sin. Other penitentiary psalms are chapter 6, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. This sermon is titled, The Forgiven. The Forgiven. My main idea, the main idea here is, the favors of the forgiven are fulfilling. Therefore pray a consistent and contrite confession, then rejoice and shout for joy. The favors of the forgiven are fulfilling, Therefore, pray a consistent and contrite confession, then rejoice and shout for joy. I have three main points in the sermon, and we will follow the, frame, the framework of the main idea. So the main first point is the favors of the forgiven are fulfilling. So what are these favors? What are the benefits of those who are forgiven? The first word that we see here in the chapter is blessed. Blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. The first favor is blessedness. We know blessedness as happiness, contentment, or flourishing. Everyone wants to be happy. As far as I know, nobody wants to be sad or lonely, right? But I'm afraid that like the society that dictates us, we have a misconception of what happiness is. We may say, man, if I only have a million dollars, I will be happy. I remember back then, man, if I only can go out to the United States, I will be happy. Or perhaps some, some may say they will be happy when they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. They find the one, the one. Or perhaps getting married or having children, buying this house, having retirement, but is this the case so? Another psalm that begins with the word blessed is found in Psalm 1. This is one of the psalms that I have memorized when I was a teenager. And it reads, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Even just looking at these two psalms, we can see that blessedness has to do with first having a relationship with God. And second is that blessedness is imparted to those who are seeking and striving to follow Him. 
The question is, do we have a relationship with God? Is He our Lord and Savior? If yes, then good. But are we then striving with all our might to know Him? Are we enjoying in obedience to Him? If we do not have a relationship with God, I pray that you will. As He is the only source of joy and comfort. The fount, the fountain of every blessing. When we realize the core of our salvation, that we have been pardoned of our sin, this is true blessedness. It is the center that all other blessings flow. Meaning we are happy, or for a better term, joyful most foremost, knowing that we have been forgiven of our sins. In that all other joys that are in us depend on this truth. So we can be joyful even when things aren't going our way. We can be joyful when things, when we are, there are troubles in our lives, turbulence in our lives. We can be joyful though the fig tree does not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail and the Fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Why? Because our joy is not hinged on the circumstances around us. It is anchored to a person, the God of my salvation, as Habakkuk, the prophet, continues, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will, make, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Notice also the blessing that our sins are covered. I love that. Remember the story of David? He was trying to hide his sin that he made with Bathsheba. And what did the Lord do? He exposed his sin. Likewise, if we try to hide our sins, God will expose them. But if we uncover our sins to him, if we lay them bare to him, be honest about them, God will cover them. Next, the favors of the forgiven is wellness. Wellness. In verses 3, 4, and 5, we can see here the negative effects of those who keep silent, those who do, who do the opposite, those who do not acknowledge their sins, that it does not only affect the spiritual state, but it also affects the physical well-being. Bones are wasting away, otherwise called osteoporosis. We have a lot of medical people here. We've got doctors, nurses, PTs, PTAs, future PTAs, hopefully future doctors and nurses as well. Dealing with the bones, I myself included. And I know most of us consult Dr. Google as well. If we have any medical issues or questions, the cause of osteoporosis is not eating high foods with calcium, like dairy or beef and sedentary lifestyle, or not doing anything, inactivity. We can't deny the fact that scripture and science mesh together. They are not separate, as most would say. When we conceal our, or hide our sins, we try to avoid doing the things that we enjoy best, like eating a tasty mid-rare steak. How about that, uh, that New York strip? Or how about the walks in the neighborhood? doing cardio exercises. All the pleasures in life are brought to a burden to us. 
we say to ourselves, I'm not hungry, or say to others, I don't want to do anything. I just, just leave me alone. As the dark cloud of sin surrounds us. Verse 4, we read that day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. It is like being pinned down to the ground. I have never wrestled, but I can imagine being pinned down to the floor by a stronger opponent. You cannot move. You cannot breathe. You're gasping for air. You're done. All you can do is tap out. And how about the feeling of thirst or dehydration? My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. We've been there, right? Doing yard work. Mowing the lawn, walking the park. We must have our water canisters with us. These physical manifestations of heaviness and thirst are brought about by unconfessed sins. And how about verse 5? We see here the other synonyms of sin, which are transgression and iniquity. I looked up the NIV translation, especially the last part of the verse, as in ESV it reads, You forgave the iniquity of my sin. NIV translates, You forgave the guilt of my sin. Guilt. Now that is a silent killer. Unconfessed sin does not only affect our spiritual, emotional, physical aspect of our lives, but it also affects our mental, psychological well-being. Guilt is to the conscience as pain is to the body. That is why the whole Bible deals with the guilt of our sin. In the Old Testament, there is the guilt offering, the killing of an unblemished lamb or ram, the sprinkling of its blood to the altar as a compensation for the sin that was committed by the Israelites. As we see these unpleasant or dreadful effects of unconfessed sins, we see the reverse of those who acknowledge, who uncovers, who confesses their sins to the Lord. They're forgiven. They are blessed, happy, joyful. Not only this, they have spiritual, emotional, physical, mental wellness, blessedness and wellness. These are fulfilling favors, right? The book of Proverbs is filled with this. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is a good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. How about 14? 30, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. People notice our friends or fam will agree. They say, wow, you look good. Your face is shining. You, you look young for your age. I mean, who would not want to be happy or healthy, right? As a side note, though, uh, there's, there's, we should not give an indictment for those who are not happy, the, the sorrowful the suffering or those who are not healthy, those who are struggling with pain and those with chronic illnesses that their sins are not forgiven. We cannot start pointing fingers on them and presume that they are guilty or hiding sin in their lives. We cannot judge or jump into conclusion. We, we, I mean, look at the John Erickson Tada, who became quadriplegic at age 17, but is still faithful, furthering the kingdom through her inspirational talks about disability and faithfulness. Or how about George Matheson, who suffered from depression and blindness. He was the one who penned the famous hymn, Oh, love that wilt not let me go. One of my favorite uh, songs. He wrote it in less than five minutes without ever editing the words. 
And that's amazing, right? Well, going back to the point, so how do we attain to this? How do we be, become forgiven? How do we become joyful and triumphant? The answer is in verse 6, which I believe is the main verse of the psalm. Verse 6, read again, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely, in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Looking at Psalm 32, I believe the structure is chiastic. It's chiastic, in which chiasm is defined as a crosswise arrangement of concepts or words that are repeated in reverse order. So if you look at verse 1 and 2, and then look at 10 and 11, they have some similar thoughts or ideas. It's like folding a paper, and most often the middle part is the main verse. That's why we have the verse 6 here. I remember the book of Esther, if you guys remember, a few years ago, we tackled back then. It's in a chiasm was the, uh, the structure of the, of the book. So the main verse in verse 6 is, Therefore pray, therefore pray. Pray, just pray. Or just pray? Can we just pray any kind of prayer? No and yes. We, no, we cannot just pray any kind of prayer. And yes, if our prayer eventually lead us to confession. Confession. Prayer of conf- confession or pardon to be exact. Church, do you know that we are blessed that we have such a wonderful, fundamentally strong and godly order of service? If you look at your bulletin, we have the songs, the reading of the word. We have the sermon, of course. And we have our, the four types of prayer that are in sequence following the acronym ACTS, or A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration or prayer of praise. We do this at the beginning of the service. And we have C for prayer of confession and as the subject of our sermon today, and T for thanksgiving, as confession always leads to thanksgiving, and S for supplication or prayer of request. That's mostly done in the pastoral prayer by our elders. Every part is well thought of, planned, and meditated upon. Although there goes my, my other side note. Prayer of confession or pardon. Pray a consistent and contrite confession. That is my my second point. Therefore, pray, says there in verse 6. Verse 5, it tells us what kind of prayer it is. I will confess my transgression to the Lord. Confession is the unburdening or uncovering of our sins before God. It is the admission of fault or mistake that we have failed in our obedience to our Heavenly Father. A life of confession is a true mark of a believer, as it says there, Let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you. So true believers or Christians, those who have professed their faith in Christ, must have a consistent prayer life of confession. The moment of our conversions, the time we accepted Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in us. He's our teacher, our guide, our mentor, our friend. He helps us. We become sensitive to sin. We cannot linger any longer 
in any sin. We cannot let it remain in us. We must confess it to the Lord immediately. Any thought, word, or action that we have committed against the Lord, we pray, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. Even those things that we did before that we think are not sin. When we are enlightened and guided by the Spirit, we are convicted of them. We may say before, man, I, I didn't know that this word that, or this act that I did or this thought that I was thinking was offensive, and now I do. A true believer is not absent from sin, but his or her attitude to sin changes. There is a holy anger and godly hatred to sin. Therefore, a consistent prayer life of confession is seen in a believer's life. Well, how about those who are not Christians? Can they pray, can they pray a prayer of confession? The encouragement here is that those who are inclined to become holy or those who are seeking to live a godly life first must admit that they are sinners. Only by the grace of God are we pardoned from our sin. Those who desire to find relief from the burden of sin, those who are convinced that there is no other source of comfort and joy but through the precious blood of Christ will find salvation and peace by making offering, by making confession of sin to God. There is no other way. There is no other way. The bad news of the gospel is that we all have sinned. And until we realize this, there is no hope for us. There is no good news for us. And their encouragement is that a true, humble, and contrite confession of sin the Lord always pardon, always forgive. This we can guarantee, 100% guarantee. And this goes to us who are Christians and those who are seeking to be one. If we want our prayers to be answered 100% by God, pray a prayer confession. When we pray a request to God like, God, give me this, or Father, I mean, Father, give me that, the answer can either be a yes, a no, or a wait, but a prayer of contrite and honest confession, the Lord always answer yes. Yes, you are pardoned, my son. The Lord said, yes, you are forgiven, my daughter. There are no sweeter words than this. I love this next words too. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. This is an image of protection from our heavenly father. We think of the time of the great flood in which Noah and his family were saved when the deluge of, of waters came up. The pardoned sinners will be safe when troubles and calamities come by. It may not be in this lifetime, but surely in the life that comes next. The next verse confirms the safety and protection from the Lord. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Sila. Sila there is, means to pause and ponder. As we have in our order of service, the moment of silence. We stop and contemplate on the truths that we just heard and let them sink down in our hearts, in our minds, in our wills. In verses 8 and 9, we can observe a change in authorship. It is now God who is speaking. 
I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. It is like when we sing How Firm Our Foundation. Beginning in the second verse, it changes as it is God who is now speaking these words. You know, we sing, Fear not, I'm with you, O be not dismayed, for I am your God. Other commentators say that this is still King David speaking as he is qualified to teach others because of his personal experience of his sin and downfall, delay in confession that led to guilt and distress. And only by confessing his sin, then pardon, peace, and favor from God was obtained. King David wrote Psalm 51 closely after the prophet Nathan confronted him of his adulterous encounter with Bathsheba that led to the murder of Uriah. You can feel his words in remorse and guilt, pleading for restoration from God in reading it. He says there in verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. And he wrote this psalm, this Psalm 32, a few years later in which he has time to ponder and contemplate on the goodness and grace that God has given him. So it's good for us to read Psalm 51 first and then Psalm 32 as a model of our prayer of confession and assurance of forgiveness. But whether it be God or David who wrote this, we can be sure that the purpose is to give us wisdom and to help us to walk in faithfulness. And we can see here in, in the beginning of verse 10, mirroring verses 3 and 4 as in the chiastic format of this chapter, the suffering, the pains, the sorrows of the wicked. But here in verses 8 and 9, these are still those who refuse to confess their sin, those who still say, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Those who still disregard the bountiful, amazing grace, benefit and favor God is offering them. Their sorrows are many. Their spiritual agony, physical pain, emotional abuse, mental torment, now and forevermore. And this is for eternity. So seek Him, pray to Him without hesitation, while He may be found. And finally, how do the forgiven act? Or what is the response of the forgiven? They rejoice and shout for joy, which is my third and last point. We rejoice and shout for joy. I mean, what other greater news is there than knowing that God has forgiven us of our sins? I want to quote C.S. Lewis on this in which he said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise is not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. Remember the woman from Samaria a few sermons ago? I mean, she dashed to her village sharing to them the good news she received. She cannot hold it in her. It must be shared. As she told them, come, see. And so should we too. That is why we have a lot of songs of praises. We cannot help but express our joy by singing. Singing is the best expression of rejoicing. 
what we do here right now, our singing is a foretaste, a dress rehearsal, a practice to the grander, more majestic celebration to a feasting that never ends. So when we sing, make a joyful noise. And the theme of our song, what is the theme of our song? Or rather, who is the theme of our song? You see, there was a certain man born 2,000 years ago. He lived a very simple lifestyle. He identified himself with the poor, with the mournful, with the meek, the hungry, the thirsty, the persecuted, even teaching them that they are the ones who are blessed. He was tempted with all the glories this world can offer, but he did not waver one bit. He was being pressured by the powers of the religious order and by the society in general to conform to them, but he did not falter one bit. He shared his passion, his life to his close friends and to those whose hearts are restless, whose hearts are seeking joy and blessedness this world cannot offer. He lived a blameless life, but he was mocked and slain by hateful men. His bones, though not broken, were wasting away as he hung on that tree. His strength was dried up. He was thirsty as it was at the heat of the day when they crucified him. He was groaning with pain and agony, gasping for every air in every single breath. He felt the heavy hand of the Lord upon him for he was carrying the sins of all humanity upon his shoulders. And this is no other than King David's greater son, great David's greater son, Jesus. He was abandoned by the Father that we may be adopted as sons and daughters. He suffered so we may have fullness of life. He was cursed so that we will be blessed. He did this all because of his great love for us. He did this all because of the joy that was set before him. And now let us enjoy him. Let us sing of him. He is the theme of our song. Now and forevermore. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, we are yours. Do as you please. In Jesus' name, amen.